Welcome back to Safe Talk with Safe Start. I'm your host, Tim Page Barr. Today we're going to start part two of an interview with the author of Safe Start and co-CEO, Larry Wilson, for Safe Start International. Let's get over to the podcast. You have to deal with whatever is in front of you in the moment. That is the reality of the world. And Safe Start is a tremendous help for our people in terms of dealing with the reality in the moment as we try to improve that reality over time, the infrastructure, the environment, and everything else. Wow, that's pretty profound. Yeah, but it is. It says, think about it as you're a soldier, Tim, right? I mean, you know, you have to deal with reality in the moment. As an athlete, you deal with reality in the moment, right? And as a worker, the moments may not be as intense as either of those two things, but you deal with reality in the moment, not what should or shouldn't be. And I think that part seems to be missing from the philosophers is that you know yeah until we get there don't you think everybody should have the swimming lessons right like at least treading water <laughs> you know <laughs> they, don't, they don't have to be olympic swimmers but like you know that would really be a help anyhow you said a couple of things there i want to just kind of backtrack and then i also have a question that you teed up for me real good uh, but i just have to say one thing certain whether you're dealing with a bamboo scaffold or perfectly engineered scaffold in north america i believe whether you're canadian or filipino nobody wants to die that day and the difference is and the difference is is that now that we've got you know, these systems that we're used to in North America versus these systems that maybe somebody in the Philippines might be working with, nobody wants to die. But <clears throat> we still boil it down to on the management and the employee side, it happens on both sides, that people get really good at blame and deflecting. So you said it earlier, blame comes part of the game. Why do you think people have become good at deflecting? Well, this is the, um, you've, you've heard me say this before too, Tim, in terms of safe start performance was, boy, do I ever wish I had figured all this out when I was younger, because, you know, I, I do have hopefully quite a few years left, but I would have had a lot more, um, you know, uh, use of this technology or methodology, uh, you know, it's fair for you if to say I, that. We, we're we in the year 2020, right, Larry? Yeah, <laughs> it's but, hindsight is 2020, so come on. It's 2020, but I mean, if I had have spent as much time analyzing and improving as I spent deflecting and diminishing, I would have not had to be nearly as good at the deflecting and the diminishing, right? <laughs> um, and so... The, the reality is that, you know, um, fessing up for human error uh, usually gets remediated when you're younger with uh, very helpful uh, things like, you know, be more careful next time, pay more attention next time. You've always got your head in the clouds. You can't concentrate. You know, make it's not like you're given, well, 
you were probably in a rush combined with some complacency because you've done this activity for a while. So you couldn't likely stop your mind from wandering from a neuroscience point of view, son. So it's only likely that you'd make a mistake like this. The other thing people learn is that one of the easiest ways to deflect a bad decision is to just say something like, I forgot. I didn't mean to, you know, it was an accident. So, you know, it gets very difficult after a while. The credibility of the person is always now suspect here in the, in the answer, right? Which, uh, just, just, just makes everything, you know, more and more difficult to wade through, right? So, although I used to say all the time, you know, like being a behavior-based safety consultant with your 28 years old is not a good job, everybody. Okay, <laughs> like if 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 you want to talk about having instant non-credibility, just be younger than everybody else by about half, and talk <laughs> about something like safety where you've never worked in a sawmill or a steel mill or anything like that before, right? You know, so, so your name your name effectively becomes sunshine. Well, well, no, but the thing is, is that people, you know, and I, I, I'd like to, I don't know, whatever it is, Dear Abby quality that I kind of have or whatever, but, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't look like a risk averse person at the early days. I was really young, you know, type of thing. And so when we were out at smoke breaks and stuff, I could ask people, I could just ask people questions and they'd tell me the truth. And that part was like if you think about looking at it like i said from the retrospective point of view and the blame there's likely gonna be a lot missing there because people are all we all learn that you fess up and bad things happen right to you so we learn how to diminish and deflect we get better and better with that we don't necessarily get any better at you know preventing the errors in the first place and so our skills get better and better with the diminishing with the diminishing and the deflecting. And I, I just wish, you know, especially when you start thinking about things like stubbing your toe and banging your shin, it hurts. So, you know, it would have been better to analyze it, you know, instead of saying, you know, who left that there or who moved that or whatever, instead of thinking, why did you hit it? You weren't looking at it. I mean, I, you know, if you, it's really basic, right? But we've got the diminish and deflect ingrained so deeply that you might actually blame the person that moved the coffee table. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when you, you did your joke about, you know, about running into the, running into the, um, the window with the, the, the pan for yeah. the, the barbecue sauce and putting the mark, the happy face mark on your stomach there. And uh, I mean, you know, so obviously you hit it with a fair bit of impact and then saying to Sheila, you're using too much Windex, right? The, I mean, but, but you could even come up with that thought is exactly how much ingrained this is. You can't stop your brain from going to diminish and deflect when you make an error. It's the first place it goes almost. Wow, first place. Doesn't, it does not go to it does not go to analyze and improve. 
Think about it. You thought about the Windex before you thought about what you actually needed to do to make sure that wouldn't happen again. Mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't exactly the best excuse, okay? No, but uh, I mean, it was easier. But look look at where your brain went, though. Look at where it went and how fast, right? It's like, oh my gosh. So we all really kind of did ourselves a big disservice because we had the ability to think about it and improve. And all we ended up learning how to do is make better excuses. This is so true. I was just thinking how easy and convenient it is to point the finger, place the blame and deflect as opposed to absorb the responsibility. Um, and a lot well, Tim, of, well, Tim, yeah. I mean, it's like, and now I'm not trying to say we've got our, we've got issues in terms of entitlement for safety in North America and Europe that are very counterproductive to not getting hurt. Um, but there are, um, there are issues about admitting human error in certain Asian cultures that are really, really deeply rooted um, in terms of the no losing face and the, all this stuff. And I actually, when I'm over there, I have to open up the session by saying, if somebody told you that they didn't make any mistakes, would you believe them? And they all said no. No, I was going to say, what and was your response? I said, no. And I said, would you buy anything from this person if they were trying to sell it to you? And they said, no. And I said, so if somebody tells, you know, pretends that they don't make any mistakes, you know that they're just pretending, right? And they all go, yeah. And I said, so why do people pretend that they don't make any mistakes when they know that nobody would believe them. And you want to see some <laughs> diverted eye contact, boy, uh, 31 people diverted eye contact with me in that room in Shanghai, the second those words were out of my mouth, and they only speak English so well, and they all knew exactly who I was talking to, and you could see them all sitting there going, you can say whatever you want, but he is dead right. We don't believe each other at all. We all know it is BS. And I said, will you prevent the next serious injury with BS? <laughs> Think about it, guys. No, this is serious now. Come on. We're talking about an or- your organization here. They're like, this is a big company, thousands, 10,000, 15,000 people in China alone. I mean, there's going to, this is not like, it's not like nobody's going to get hurt, you guys. It's going to happen. So this isn't a, it, it, you can't say, well, well, oh, well, right? You know, this is, re- you've got to address this and you've got to free these people up and you've got to be willing to go first because otherwise nobody else will. And I had the, I'm the captain of the Singapore Navy. His name was John. The first is the first session I'd ever done over in Asia, about 2008. I'm in Singapore. And he tells, we get to the story thing and he tells this great story about having to go from one meeting to the next, a hectic day, things not going well. And he and his assistant are running. They don't even have time for the elevator. So they are running down three flights of stairs to get to the parking garage so that he can get to the next meeting in his car because it's in a different building. 
and he trips on the step and does two front head over head somersaults down the stairs, hits a bank of lockers, knocks himself out, not for long though. Um, by the time the assistant came down the stairs, he was, was conscious. Um, he, the backpack saved his back. He had a concrete stairs, but he was wearing a backpack, he said, which was really unusual because normally his assistant would have carried that, but um, kind of gives you a bit of an idea of this guy. He's not typical. Um, anyhow, the backpack saved him. He said he probably wouldn't have been walking if it hadn't have been for that. Um, he did say that he did not remember anything of the meeting, but his assistant kept good notes. So he, think he's, he thinks he faked it in terms of the follow-up letter. Um, and it was just a great story. And, and everybody told stories after that. And then I went and thanked him afterwards. And, um, and he, said, uh, he said, Larry, do you know why I told that story? And I said, well, it's a great story. Uh, he said, well, Larry, if I didn't tell that story, said, nobody would have said a word. So I, I, just, I just went over to kind of thank him for you know, a good story. I didn't, I didn't realize I needed to thank him for saving my life. Like that, you know, I would like, well, you know what it's like when you tell the whole group to do something and nobody does anything and you're like, it's really hard to fake like, okay, I didn't mean it. We'll go do something else now. Like, cause you guys didn't want to do that. Right. It's right. like, you've got egg on your face and it's obvious that, you know, so to your point, I just wrote down that that is just one way to get to know your audience. But when you know your audience, he knew that he had to say something. Then when he did, the engagement started and you had the floodgates open. So you, you've answered a couple of questions in just that statement alone about engagement. He probably, yeah, he probably figured out that I was clueless too. So, you know, <laughs> well, if I don't save this guy, he'll probably walk right over the cliff here. la di da you know. There's a little bit of truth to that for sure. <laughs> All right, Larry, we're out of time. I have one more question for you, and it's a frequently asked, <laughs> it's a frequently oh, asked okay. question that we get from a lot of our customers and trainers. Um, they want to know why 75% of the critical error reduction techniques were specifically designed for complacency. The, yes, it's three out of four of the techniques are for complacency, but uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that... Um, that they're more important. I mean, if you think about the, the second technique, analyzing close calls, um, was it a state like rushing frustration or fatigue that you didn't self-trigger on, right? Or if it was mostly complacency leading to mind not on task, then, you know, it's probably a safety-related habit that needs more work or you got to put a bit more effort into watching other people for those state terror risk patterns, right? You know, a little less of the blinders on kind of thing, figuratively speaking. You know, pay more attention to what other people are doing, help bring your mind back into the moment a little bit more. So they all, they all have to go together, right? Um, uh, I think of it a little more like the spokes of a wheel. Um, so, you know, depending on what part of the wheel is on the ground, what spoke is carrying the, the most weight, right? And the next one's closest to it, right? Because as you look at a lot of things, it's self-trigger and work on habits, or it's self-trigger and observe other, you know, so there's, 
there's a combination quite often of states like fatigue and complacency or rushing and complacency. And without a certain amount of baseline complacency, even if you're in a rush or in your fr or you're frustrated, if you're working at a height and it's the first 15 minutes on the job and you haven't been working at heights before and you're like, a hundred meters in the air, those states aren't going to be as much of a factor because you're not complacent. If you've never been scuba diving before, you know, you've never been at jumping out of a plane before, all of those things, before you get to the first stage of complacency, typically the amount of hazardous, hazardous energy is firing your articular activation system and lighting it up big time. And it's like danger, 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 right? And you that's what's so that that's what the trap is, Tim, is that it, it can be so much danger, 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 danger at the beginning that you don't think it's ever gonna go away. You don't think you're ever gonna get complacent. It's just hard to imagine that you would ever be doing this activity, like a riding a motorcycle without paying attention to it. Like it's just, you know, like you just, you just, at the beginning, especially when people are really, really fearful, they can't believe skiing, for instance, right? You know, I'll never get, go. <laughs> get, yeah, I was going to say, if I got you, if I got you, if I got you and Jack on skis, I don't think I'd be worried about complacency for quite some time. And now I am actually afraid to go skiing because I don't think I can really. I don't really think I can control the complacency like it, it I can ski with like walking but it isn't quite like walking and if you catch an edge you can break a leg and uh, I really don't want to do that again yeah. <laughs> so yeah you know, I don't think you want to puncture along so the, you know like so there's the, 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 the as they say all the time the risk the risk at the front end is obvious, and it, to a certain extent, I, I really do believe people are, are, you know, like people do um, devalue everybody's ability to appreciate that risk accurately and assess the risk accurately, depending on their own skill. I think most people are really err on the side of cautious. I mean, if you've never been kayaking before and somebody says, you want to go down this whitewater river? The answer is no. I'm not doing it. Sorry, I don't know what the heck I'm doing, right? You know, uh, not not a not a chance, right? So, um, you know, people typically are good with that. Um, where I went for a walk yesterday, you know, there was a cross, and that's where this kayaker died on this river, and he was uh, one of the best in the world. Wow, you know, and. Um, he, he he hit his head. It wasn't even a big day, right? You know, one of those like, and you hear about this all the time. And we'd we begin because you hear about it all the time. It's nothing new, and you don't really think anything of it until you start questioning it, and then you get to the, well, why do older, experienced workers, experts with lots of training, why do they get hurt second highest frequency compared to the young workers? I mean, the young workers getting hurt, no experience, no training, especially no safety training, uh, kind of all seems to make intuitive sense. But why do the older experienced workers and the experts, second highest category, why do those guys die? 
typically that was a really difficult question for safety professionals to answer. So I know I talked too long for these first questions, Tim, but maybe if you guys have time, you could have me back sometime and I could, uh, I, I could get to, I could get to the second half of the questions that you meant to ask me today. <laughs> That's okay. We will have you back because I think our listeners would love to have you back. I, I just have to mention that you can get a hold of Larry Wilson. Um, his email is Larry at safestart.com. Um, he's also on LinkedIn and other social media platforms. Um, Larry, we will bring you back and we'll finish up the, the questions that we did have. Um, it's just unfortunate we're out of time. And I have to say that the time that we spent was well worth the time because I know that our listeners gain as much value as I do when they listen to what you have to say and then providing a platform for it is extremely important. So thanks for being here. Uh, well, as, as usual, I'm like already. I'm going. Oh, you know, you didn't. You, you didn't. You didn't. There's so many other things I should have probably added added in here, Tim. You know, the yeah. Um, you know, some of the things we were even talking about yesterday in terms of the of, of senior leadership and uh, and felt commitment. You know, where 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 we've seen it and what causes it. Um, like I said, that question about the. Uh, the experience, the experienced workers getting hurt. Um, I'd also love to, to talk with you too about some of the things we've been uncovering at these expert panel webinars that I've been doing around the world. And I wasn't expecting any, um, you know, any new paradigm shifts or uh, rays of light. Uh, and I really was surprised at some of the things that, uh, We've kind of begun to uncover with the leading webinar, the the leading indicators webinar, um, but also with the one on zero harm as well too, right? So, uh, um, I think one of the things COVID's done for all of us is it's it's opened up a lot of channels because we've kind of had to do a lot of different things, and within that, there's the ability to ask like these expert panels in India, there's like 1300 people on them. So I got a chance now, instead of asking 20 people at a, you know, like some sawmill or oil field in the middle of nowhere, Northern Canada. And by the way, everybody, if you're listening, we have a lot of North, we have a lot of nowhere in Northern Canada, just, just FYI. But um, instead of 20 people in the middle of nowhere, where, you know, I'm asking, you know, three sources of unexpected and nobody's got an example for the equipment or the other guy. We're all going, man, we all hurt ourselves. Holy smokes. Who knew that? Now we're doing it in front of like a thousand people. And so really think if, you know, between the podcast and everything else, if we can, if we can start to get that, kind of data that quickly because like, it took me what 10 years 10 years to talk to 20,000 people I'm gonna be able to do that in three webinars in India and around the world now right so some of the some of the things that are available to us now everybody in terms of getting to the bottom of all this because as Tim started out saying nobody is ever trying to get seriously hurt or killed and it's still happening all over the place. We are not done yet. 
the idea that you can make something work in your Emerald City and your little local laboratory, perfect little plant of 200 people is still only 200 people. It's not the whole world, okay? So I think the safety community also needs to step up a bit to the challenge out there, which is we're not done until we can help the people stop doing this. I mean, nobody's ever trying to, Tim. I mean, it's, it's obviously an error. You know, like, it, let's, let's keep going on the hazards. But let's not keep thinking we're going to ever get there by chasing the hazards down. It's not going to happen. Thank you for the challenge there, Larry. We appreciate it. You can find many more of these podcasts on safestart.com under the resources tab. And we want to thank you, Larry, for making this such a great, incredible conversation. We are certainly going to have you back. You are a tremendous guest. Um, and more important, we thank you for your authorship of Safe Start. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Larry. Appreciate it. You're welcome, too. Okay. Bye-bye.